welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's podcast episode is sponsored by Arrow. Arrow is the all-in-one sales tool built for you. In less than three clicks, you can now find assets and share to your customers. Streamline paperwork with deal mode where you can create and send rental deal elements in seconds from anywhere. Arrow is the tool built to power up your rental process with seamless inventory management, smart marketing, and reporting tools all from one platform. Finally, a better way to CRM. Build and close big deals the simple, powerful way with Arrow. Visit rentalarrow.com forward slash podcast to book your demo today. Today's guest is Kyle Clements. Kyle is relatively new to the equipment rental industry, but I've brought him on the podcast because he's someone that is really thinking outside the box a little bit when it comes to the digital age for equipment rentals. So he started a company called Quiply. So he's the founder and they are trying to figure out how they can help small and medium rental companies improve their digital footprint. So that means about having a storefront or being able to do transactions online, those sort of things. And I wanted to just get the perspective of Kyle on what he's learned so far having a startup in the equipment rental industry, what the trends he's seen, and just give him some feedback on what some of the engagement like has been like with some of his new and potential customers as well. So Kyle, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, can you talk to me how you first became involved in the equipment rental industry? So to be honest, I probably have the least amount of equipment rental industry of any, any of your podcast uh, guests so far. That's really about 12 months exactly. And uh, I may hold that record for a while. You know, really my undergraduate, undergraduate degree was in civil engineering. And so I had some exposure to construction and rental that way, but in many ways was still a novice and really didn't know a lot besides some of the weekend warrior projects I did. The company and kind of my experience, real exposure to equipment rental really uh, started last summer when I was trying to rent some equipment from a large national player in their online store. And just kind of a frustrating experience. And I started asking questions, you know, why can't I order equipment on my phone? Why can't I do it online? You know, I can buy a house, a car, you know, buy a car, order a pizza, order an Uber, buy plane tickets, doctor's appointment, any, anything in the world I can do on my phone, but I couldn't really rent equipment online. So that kind of got me interested in, in the space. And naturally I'm just a curious person. So I just started talking to rental companies. Why aren't you offering online renting? Why can't I do the entire transaction online? And, you know, last summer, last fall, I talked to over hundred companies and, you know, I think my lack of experience ended up being an asset in many ways, because I was able to go into listening mode, more kind of the beginner's mindset and really try to understand what the actual problems were, not what people assume they were being in the industry for, for, for a long time. And through those conversations, I kind of, you know, uh, realized to me that, that the end users, the end renters did want convenience. They did want to order on the phone and, and, and order on their laptop. You know, there's a group of people who still want to call their salesperson or show up in person. And that's, that, that's going to be here for a long time, but there was a growing portion of the population who wanted to do, to rent online. So that's kind of how we got into it. Uh, we kind of got some designs together on what the product could look like. And uh, we went and pitched 10 uh, rental owners in like one of their pod meetings said, this is an idea I have. Um, this is what it could look like. Uh, what do you think? And uh, that meeting, we got two customers signed up 
uh, before he even wrote a line of code. So that kind of made me think that we were onto something and that there maybe was some sort of itch that wanted to be scratched. In parallel, I started working uh, with Boundless Venture Company, which is a venture studio that works with entrepreneurs to build um, you know, software businesses. And you know, the founder of Boundless, Dan Saper, was actually the previous chairman of Accord 360. I know um, they're a podcast sponsor, a few guys, and Jesse was on here a few weeks ago. So you know, Dan knew the space quite well. He knew the rental world. He, he knew Jesse and Accord 360. And he kind of felt like there's also an opportunity to bring some new technology to the rental space. So we started developing the, the product in 2020. Um, we launched our first customer this spring and we were off and running. I think in the first, first few weeks, we had over $100,000 in revenue through the system. So really validated our hypothesis that there was a desire to rent things online. And uh, that's a story. So really, like I said, less than a year, uh, I'm still a novice in many ways, but it's been fun learning from the industry and a lot of the people who have helped us you know, get off the ground. Wow. So you said that you spoke to a hundred rental companies. Where did you sort of learn that um, mentality on how to engage with people to, to have a startup? Because like, that's a different type of uh, mentality in itself to, to go out there and expose yourself and ask these questions. Did you learn that from someone? Was it from university or was it a mentor? How did you learn that? It's a good question. I've always kind of been an entrepreneur or had the desire to be an entrepreneur. Um, I would actually say this is my second company. My first company I started was in college, a company called Reboat. And uh, I was working for a kayak, kayak company in the summer. They, they made kayaks and they were selling them in Charleston, South Carolina. And I realized there's a bunch of scrap material. There's old, old kayaks going in the landfill, going in the trash. And I just asked the question, why can't we do something with this? And he said, okay, it's all yours. Feel free to take it. So we started making uh, dog collars and wallets and tote bags and um, started the company, started selling in stores, started selling online. This is back in 2013. And that was really my first experience into startups and really kind of caught the bug. I really love building and creating. I really love that experience of uh, taking something from nothing and solving a problem for people. So that experience really got me into it. And I you know, made a hundred mistakes. The company didn't last the year, right? So that was kind of the first, uh, first go at it and really spent the last eight years working for other startups. So I've worked at three different companies in the automotive software space. And I think those experiences working for founders and people who are uh, you know, some, you know, more gray hairs than I have, I was able to really learn what it's like to, to build a company from the ground up. And I think the biggest thing is being curious and persistent because when I started this, you know, this, uh, these interviews, you know, the first five rental companies said, we don't want to do online renting. No way, never. We don't want it. And then I started asking more questions and then showing them designs. And it's funny when people say they don't want to do online renting and I said, okay, can you just look at the product and see what the experience looks like? And I show it to them like, oh, that's so different than I thought. Like, yeah, we definitely want to do that. So it's partly of um, being persistent, not being shut down on the first no, but, you know, kind of like the five whys. How do you go deeper and really understand what people are saying? Um, you know, I think Steve Jobs talked about customers don't actually know what they want. You have to kind of show them. So I think that's part of the discovery process is really just being curious and asking questions. And I think those hundred interviews were a combination of the rental companies we were talking to, but also their end users. I think that was, a, that was an important piece that we missed because a lot of rental companies we're saying that our customers love us and it's great. And I think that is true. But I think there was, there was some opportunities that the end renters were uh, kind of keeping to themselves that they weren't sharing. And, and when you start asking them, what if you could do this on your phone and a couple of buttons and everybody kind of lit up. So I think, I think it's a natural curiosity and to kind of meander. And it took me several months to kind of figure out what the main product was. Um, and to be honest, we, our first few weeks, we actually started with an open marketplace model where, you know, uh, you, you know we list all the equipment, rental companies on our platform. It's the quickly.com brand. 
and we become, become sort of like an Airbnb or an aggregator. And um, I think some of those conversations, we realized that there's a lot of pride and a lot of, um, you know, the, the rental companies, they have a great brand. They own the customer relationship. They own the equipment. And we didn't want to take that away from them. So we've already pivoted several times. I'm sure we'll continue to pivot. And I think it's just us trying to listen as best as we can to what our customers want. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to try and dive into those 100 people a little bit more if you've got uh, it, hopefully some memories from it. So can you talk about the people that were against it and some of the reasons why they didn't want to do it and some of the people that were really keen and I guess what they sort of saw as like the future potentially? Yeah, I think the people, you know, that were against it, I think one conversation um, sticks out to me uh, specifically with the person said, you know, I, he's literally said, I hate change. You know, we've been running our business. It's been working. Um, why do you, why do you people like you have to bring change to the industry? And I think, um, I think there was a little bit of a fear that you could be left behind, uh, if, if the technology was coming, you know, the robots, the machines, I think there's fear that people could be replaced. And again, that's not our vision. I think what we are really trying to do is enable rental companies and enable what they're already doing well, and just strengthen that and kind of really build what the top three players are building for their companies and bringing that for the rest of the industry. So I think there was an element of fear. Um, you know, the second thing that kind of came up was I, I've been in the business for 30 or 40 years. Uh, it hasn't changed much. It's always been this way. So what makes you think it's going to change again? And, um, you know, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of thinking. And I think that's, there's some validity to that, right? If, if this online renting doesn't truly catch on, you know, there's no wave to be missed. You can kind of just keep doing what you're doing and, 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 and everything kind of goes, as planned. So I think it's really around like the adoption curves you think about with the kind of the adoption curve of the early adopters and then the, you know, fast followers types of thing. And then at the end you have the laggards. So I think for us, it wasn't so much that um, people were totally against the idea. It was more of a timing thing where a lot of people were in the wait and see, like, okay, I could see that happening, but I don't want to be the first group to do that. And if it comes to the industry, I'll jump on board. But in the meantime, things are working. So um, I don't really feel the need to change. So I think that was, um, I would probably say, I don't know, 70% of the groups were kind of in that mindset where things are working. I don't really feel the need to adapt. And then the customers that were more innovative, they're more the, uh, the risk-taking group. I think they're a little bit younger and they were really just around, I don't know if this is going to work, but I want to try it. And I, I could see how this could work. I, you know, I you know, I, like I said, I order plane tickets on my phone. I, you know, the plane, you know, my United Airlines will text me if the plane's late and being able to be really customer centric and, and mobile first, those types of things. Like they experience that in their daily lives and they want to bring that to, to their business. So I think those groups that are willing to take a risk. And obviously if you're signing up with a company that hasn't written a line of code yet, you're going to be on the risk taker side. So I think those, those initial groups really had to believe what we were doing and really saw the vision. So I think there's just people willing to take a risk and really, um, see if they can be proactive around changing the way the industry operates. Yeah. Talking about resisting change and you mentioned it's always been like that. So I was talking to a, a company this week. It was an aerial company and aerial companies are notorious for doing this thing called daily stock takes where they walk around the yard and they, they have a, a check sheet with, with all the counts of what's meant to be in the yard. And they physically go through and count every single machine and they match it off on what's meant to be in the yard and what is in the yard. And we'll, I was talking to this customer and I was, I was talking about how they can potentially move this to a mobile solution so they don't have to use paper anymore. And I was like, but it's still like, if you move to a mobile solution, you're adding to the problem. And then mm -hmm. the, their sort of response was like, yeah, I understand that, but it's just the way that we've always done it. 
It's always been like that. And so one of the ideas that we're talking about was, well, why can't you have GPS telemetry on most of your machines and you've probably got some type of rental system or ERP solution. Why don't you use your GPS units and telematics of your machines and geofence your branch and then match that against what's in your, your rental software to tell the exception of what is or isn't in your location. And it's like, that's a really easy example on how you can use technology to improve um, your processes and your branches. But if, if people have the mindset of it's always been like that, there's going to be people that are always holding the industry back. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I'm curious on your thoughts. You've, you've been in the industry longer than I have. Uh, why, why do you feel like the rental industry in particular is a little bit behind some of the other industries in terms of technology adoption? Do you have any insight on that? Well, I think the first thing is it's most of it is on the biggest stuff is most of it's B2B. And so you're yeah. dealing with people that are dealing on, on projects like project managers and, and foremans and people that are ordering equipment. And they're so used to, as you mentioned, having those relationships with people. And it's sort of gone to the point where like if you take a car rental place, it's mostly B2C. And so they have to be able to be online. If you're going to be doing uh, any sort of booking online with, with flights, it's B2C where the equipment rental industry is so focused on B2B as a, as a large mm -hmm. portion. Uh, now, now saying that there's a lot of general rental companies out there that are focused on the, the weekend warriors that are trying to do their own repairs and stuff like that. But what I think is going to happen is that more people, what I like to say is the changing of the guard, more younger people are taking over senior roles within organizations like project management roles, CEOs, managing directors, CFOs, things like that. And they're used to having everything at their fingertips. So those people are going to be the, the forward thinkers and changing, like pushing the ideas a little bit further. So I think it's, it's a, a big factor that I said, it's been so focused on B2B and people are used to that construction side where everything is typically paper-based a lot of times and they're handing manual timesheets and things like that, where it's, uh, there's going to be companies like, like Quipley, for example, and other companies out there are going to start pushing the boundaries a bit more and hope for those, those changing of the guard individuals are the ones that are pushing everyone up together. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that around, you know, be the difference between B2B and B2C transactions, because that is another objection I've gotten is to say, well, yes, that makes sense for B2C. If I'm at home ordering stuff on Amazon, it should be convenient, but B2B transactions don't have to be. And I, and I actually disagree with that statement because I think what's happening is B2B expectations are catching up with the realities of B2C. And I think the companies that can offer really great B2C-like experiences for the business-to-business -business transactions, I think are going to win. Because I like this changing in the guard. If you grew up on, a, on an iPhone, you can have the whole world at your fingertips, do everything you want in the world on your iPhone. Then you come into work and you've got keystrokes and all these different screens that are hard to read. And I, I think there's this next generation of people aren't going to really, really tolerate that. I think the groups that can, that can really, uh, really deliver high quality B2B experiences, similar to what you can do with, you know, Amazon, Uber, et cetera, I think are going to win in the long term. So I do think that's a little bit of what's happening in the industry. It's where it's, it's been separate when your mind, you have my personal life where it's very convenient and easy. And then my business to business life where it's just maybe a little bit more complex and burdensome. And I think those are start, starting to, to uh, converge a little bit. Yeah. Well, even I had Aaron Witt on the podcast and he was talking about even just giving your end customers more visibility about what they have on rent so they can see things like utilization they can request um, a call off rents they can request extensions they can request additional information about the equipment they can download the service history they can what they can request a breakdown whatever it might be all that's a phone call at the moment potentially mm -hmm. with a lot of companies so 
if if you can impact and then the example he gave was if and he actually used an example of him working on a job site if he forgets to call of rent a machine or off hire unit if you're in australia uh, then you get burnt by the rental companies if you don't uh let them know in time let's say it's the water truck sitting on the site for an extra two days if you give your people the uh the power to see what they have on a job site and see the live utilization it's just a increases the whole customer experience and and satisfaction to another level as well and so look i think it's just a matter of time and and yeah i always use the term the amazon effect people are so used to amazon and they they want that level of service and that's probably what's going to eventually be expected in the next five to ten years yeah and i think it's i think it's happening now and obviously the, the cliche around COVID has accelerated a lot of things i, I think that's true i mean th there's a chart going back to 2000 e-commerce sales started at one percent of total retail sales. And essentially every year it increased by 1%. And from March, 2020 to June, 2020, that increased like 10%. We had a decade of e-commerce growth in, in two months. And I think that really has accelerated a lot of these things in my view. And the other thing you're talking about in terms of transparency, I think it's important uh, for companies, especially rental, rental companies I've talked to to build trust with, the, with their customers. And I think one way you do build trust is being transparent, showing them prices, showing them where your equipment is, utilization. And I think building that transparency builds trust and ultimately long-term customer loyalty. So I think, I think that's an important shift that's happening is really around how do we build more trust with our customers with, with, with all the data that we do have. Mm, definitely. So, so can you explain to the listeners, I guess, what the definition is of e-commerce for the people that are sort of tuning in and then also explain what the functions are of an online storefront as well? Because there's a bit of a combination here of a lot of terminology that get thrown around. And I think we just want to break it down simply for the people that are listening to understand. Sure. So I guess on the first question on, on e-commerce, I, I, th I think it's important to differentiate between you know, traditional e-commerce and rental e-commerce. Um, you know, obviously the difference is on with Amazon and e-commerce, only a portion of those items end with the return, but for rental, every transaction ends with the return. I think that complexity is, is higher for rental e-commerce. I think it's worth calling out. I think first thing to say is, you know, I think renters come in many different flavors. So I think not everyone's going to want to interact with you the same way. So I do think there's going to be a lot of people who want to operate uh, with you by phone. Some are going to deal face-to-face, some want to pay credit cards, some with a rental account. I think there's many different flavors. I think e-commerce is just another tool in your toolkit to serve your customers the way they want to interact with you. I think what we're seeing is, you know, that desire though to rent online on a computer, tablet, do everything uh, electronically. You know, what we've seen, at least from the ARA Rental Tech Show last last fall, was the number one way uh, that prospective renters are discovering rental companies is through Google and through the internet. Uh, that is the number one way rental companies are learning about you. So if you if you're not excelling on that, you're missing a real opportunity. And that's from the ARA show. That's from, you know, uh, surveys with actual members and, and renters. So that, that's one thing. The second thing we're seeing, this is from uh, forconstructionpros.com. What they're calculating is that 97% of consumers now go online to locate suppliers of local goods they seek. And 80% of them expect to see products online before they make a transaction decision. So there's a lot of data out there that indicates that this is the number one way that people want to interact with you. And it, it's, it's almost at 100% now. Like, I think this is the way people think about uh, shopping online. So I think it's data, they just clear that renters do want to rent online. So in terms of like, what are the key functions of, of rental e-commerce? Um, I think, first of all, you need to have 
you know, really high quality experience, high quality website. So it needs to be modern in appearance, easy to navigate, uh, delightfully functional. You can do it on a desktop computer or your know, mobile device and it renders quick and easy to use on any device you use. It needs to be optimized for SEO. So if you're searching on Google or Bing, Yahoo, you really need to make sure that everything's set up so you're ranking and showing up on different Google searches. And then there's also a, a few pieces of functionality you want to hit on, I think are important to have on your online storefront and, and rental e-commerce. So first of all, I think you need to have a virtual shopping cart, being able to add items to your cart, remove them, change quantities. Second, uh, you know, really a ton of checkout functionality. So adding, you know, different addresses, making sure you're getting everything right on the checkout page. These are pretty standard checkout functionality around creating a, an account, email, password, things like that. Third, I think you really need a robust payment gateway. So as I mentioned, credit card transactions, probably more common for the homeowners, but being able to rent with an open account as well, just being able to serve your customers the way they want to pay you. Uh, fourth, I'd say, you know, e-signature collection. So all those documents, making sure you can do that electronically and not necessarily have to do that uh, in person. Fifth thing I'd add here is proof of insurance. So being able to upload that or COI if you need to do that for some of your customers. But again, trying to digitize everything you need on, on the uh, rental experience. Uh, and just a few more here, you know, making sure you have a, a customer portal, password protected, you can log in, see your equipment, pay bills, interact with you digitally through your customer portal, uh, automated email communications. And then lastly, making sure you're integrated some sort of backend system for managing and approving the you know, incoming order. So I, th th those are, I think, about eight different items I hit on. It sounds overwhelming, but I think when you can offer all of those together, it makes a really seamless, easy to use experience for your renters. And then you can really say you're, you're operating with a true rental e-commerce platform. Yeah, that's really good insight. And I guess one of the questions I have then is we've got this e-commerce platform, we've got the existing website for a rental company. And then we also have this thing which you described as a customer portal. How do those three things work together? Especially if, you're, if a customer's or rental company's already got an existing website. Yeah, yeah, I th I th that, that's a good question. I think some of the companies we've worked with have invested a lot in their existing website and they're very proud of it. And I think it looks pretty good. So for them, it's more, how do we integrate into what they've already done and, and build on top of what they've already established? Other groups don't have a website or it's 15 years old and they really need the whole thing. So I think from at least our perspective, we've been flexible and kind of working with the customer to figure out where those uh, gaps are. And our platform's really been configurable so we can just plug and play different elements of that. So some groups need the whole thing. We need it, they need the website with SEO. They need the online store and the customer portal. That's off the shelf. We can do that. Some of the larger groups have invested a lot in their website. Maybe they just need uh, the online store and customer portal. So maybe there's a rent button on their site and that launches you know, the, the online renting experience. It's branded with their, uh, their colors, their logo, their header and footer, their domain names. So it looks and feels seamless. Um, so that, that's the other route we've gone. I think the biggest thing is, like you've mentioned, is it has to be consistent and seamless to the user. So if you got to have all these kind of janky looking things on your website, I don't know if people are going to feel a lot of trust in putting their credit card down for something that kind of looks weird and maybe you're missing pictures. And, and I think that trust element is really important. So I think our perspective has been, let's, let's solve it the right way and be flexible in how we do that. So again, some customers, they need everything. Others, maybe we'll just integrate a piece of that into their, into their existing website. Mm, yeah, okay. And another thing that came to mind when you were talking through it just before, which I think a lot of rental companies aren't really getting on the back of yet is, is payment gateways and taking payments online. Can, can you talk about what is a payment gateway and how that works within someone's website potentially as well? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we've worked with um, Stripe for our payment gateway at Quipley. You know, Stripe is, uh, you know, I think they did $400 billion in internet transactions last year. So Amazon, Uber use. Um, the reason we use them, because I think internet transactions is a risk of fraud and uh, potential uh, <laughs> bad Apple behavior. So I think with a company like Stripe, they are checking for all those fraud elements to make sure that you are who you say you are. And you know, you've got sufficient funds, your credit card is validated. So for us, when you go to the checkout page and you pay by credit card, we're validating in real time that you are who you say you are, the, the credit card is valid, you have sufficient funds. So by the time it gets to the appro approval status, we've already checked all of those things. So I think it's important not to just stand up a form that you put on your website. I think you do need to have some security and fraud checks throughout that. Um, you know, for us, I think there's a there's an element of like the buy versus build, like what do we build? internally for Quipling, what do we buy? Like for, for us, there's a lot of payment payment gateways already out there. So it's really just integrating with some of those more established players. And we chose Stripe because I think they're a leader in really internet transactions. So that's one piece on the credit card piece. Secondly, what we found pretty quickly is uh, there's a lot of customers who rent with an open account. They don't pay by credit card every order. They want to settle up every 30, 60 days. So we've also built a separate flow where customers can apply to have the rent with an open account. It's approved by the rental coordinators and they're allowed to process orders without having to put a credit card down. And at the end of the month, uh, the rental company could send them a bill. So those are the two main areas that we've um, focused on right now. One of our customers actually asked if we can support Bitcoin payments. I'm not sure about that right now, <laughs> maybe in the future, but uh, at least those are the two main areas we've started with uh, to kind of get going. Okay, cool. And so what about the onboarding process and the actual rollout of of an online storefront, how would an equipment rental business manage that? And how do you interact with them? We try to make it as easy as possible. I think, uh, you know, the Airbnb founders talked about early on, you have to do things that are unsustainable, really build customer love. So it's like, for us, it's like, what is the least amount of effort we can make it for the rental companies? And we've boiled it down to all they need to do for us is give us a list of your inventory. So an Excel sheet, an email, these are the hundred items I have, and these are the prices. And then that's, that's all they give us. And secondly, access to their domain name. So we can do the subdomain hosting and make sure the URL is consistent and look and feels consistent as you navigate through the website. That's really all customers need to do. And from our side, we have a team here that works with manufacturers to get the pictures, descriptions written for all of the items we added into the system. We've really taken on as much of the load as we can just to really make this as easy as possible for people to say yes. Um, so for us, you know, there's no, uh, you know, big costly implementation. Uh, we've done it as quick as two weeks, as long as people can kind of push this along. And I think on average it takes about like three or four weeks to kind of get everything up and running. And one of our KPIs or key goals is, you know, the uh, number of customers we can get from a signed contract to a first rental in three weeks online. So that, that's really what our goal is to really get you up and running within less than three weeks. So like I said, if you're interested in signing up, it's really just send us an email with your inventory, then give us access to your, you know, GoDaddy uh, account or, you know, let us do the C name mapping. It's really easy to do that. It takes about five minutes. So that's really what it entails to kind of get it up and running. And the system's been pretty easy to use. Um, we've got a training video for how do you, how do you process orders, manage orders? Uh, it's seven minutes long. So we tried to make things simple. Um, I think, products can become really overcomplicated and burdensome. And I think our, our mandate is like, how do we keep things as simple as possible? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a, a critical path for any sort of technology rollout. If you, if you make things complicated, there's going to be pushback. And then a lot of times, let's say you are working with someone with an organization to roll out this new website and it's super complicated 
And then they need to explain that to their next person that they report to. And they're trying to explain this complicated thing. And so, yeah, if you can break down any sort of implementation in a simple manner, it's going to make life easier for everyone. And I think the fact that you're, you're doing the photos thing is pretty cool as well. I think having good photos on people's websites is a critical, a critical path to, as you said, do not trust with that company when you're going to rent something. Is that something that's like standard? Like how, do, how did you sort of think, come up with that? I, I think like, uh, if anything, we just learned. So we like the first customer, like, okay, can you give us all your photos? And they were like, we don't have photos. <laughs> so, okay, well, um, I could ask you to get the photos. That may take you three months or we could go do it in, in less than a week. So we're, we're just really trying to, like I said, do unsustainable things just to really get the customers loving the product. So that's kind of, that's really what's evolved is, um, you know, what, what we've taken on as much of that as we can. I think that photo piece, which we thought everyone just had high quality photos actually has been like an area that we can surprise and delight people where, you know, we show them their website with the new high quality photos and everything else. And they're kind of wowed, like, wow, this is really cool that you guys have this. So I think that's been um, something cool that we've been able to offer uh, some of our customers. And the last thing I'll say on the, going back to the implementation, I think it's the kind of the classic, you know, takes twice as long, twice as expensive. I think that is what people have in their mind for kind of these ERP transitions and these six month projects, 12 month projects. I've seen that in my career too. So I think there is a lot of, um, uh, th there's a lot of, I guess, back poor experiences from those types of technology overhauls that we're really trying to not do that, right? Because I think these projects naturally can take on a life of their own and go months and months and months. And um, we, we're just really trying to make things easy for people and really kind of break that mold where it doesn't have to take six months and a ton of money to do things. You can go pretty quickly and get stuff off the ground uh, relatively easy. Mm, okay. And look, another bit of a controversial topic for some people is displaying rental rates online. What have you found of that when you're engaging with people? I think that's come up. I, th I think that's mostly come up with the same groups that don't want change in their, you know, not only do they not really want online renting right now, they also don't want to put rates, you know, on their website. It's kind of like a Venn diagram. Then the other side, you have people who want to do online renting and have no problem putting rates on the website. So I think there's like a strong correlation. So for our customers, pretty sure hundred percent of our customers have rates posted on online. And that was not really a sticking point. Um, the only question they had was what rate do we, how do we set the prices? And we kind of work with them on that, but um, I do think it's controversial. Um, it seems from our perspective though, the groups that are willing to take a risk and try some of this online renting uh, are the same people who have no problem putting the rates online. And um, we keep going back to building trust. I think that's something their customers uh, really respect and appreciate where they know exactly what they're getting up front. Hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and you mentioned that having a system where someone's approving the orders that are coming through. So can you talk to me about what that actually means so people can understand what that order processing is? And then where do you see it going in terms of having an integration to the, the rental company's rental software systems as well? Yeah, that's a good question. That's pretty much the biggest question we get when we're talking to groups about who really see the vision of this. I think from the beginning for Quipley, this, you know, my vision's always been to partner with the industry rather than work against it. And I mentioned earlier that I worked at Uber um, and I experienced a company that was very successful, but they took on an industry quite aggressively. And I think that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way where uh, rather than enabling an industry, they really wanted to tear it down. And I don't really think that's what we're trying to do here. We're not really trying to tear down the industry and totally rebuild it. We want to partner with what's already working and just trying to make that 
incrementally a little bit better. So that being said, I think we've always envisioned ourselves as partnering with the right ERPs to integrate our front end technology uh, into their back end systems with, with our open endpoints that we've designed. So we're actually working through that integration right now with one of our largest customers. So I, did, I think that is one channel we're going to go down for the really big players who love their ERP. They love their website. They just want this, you know, customer portal, online rental experience. We're working with them to do that. At the same time, the second channel we're going down also is the smaller independents uh, that we're working with have really kind of come to us and said, we actually really love the online storefront. Can you build us the rest of the system too? <laughs> and we started hearing that enough that we started doing that. And we have actually several customers who are using Quiply as really the sort of lightweight ERP where they have an online storefront reporting payments automated communications and, and inventory tracking. They're using that system to run their whole business. So we're really going down both of those routes. And I think we talked about pivoting earlier. We'll see, right? I mean, we'll, I'll, I'll listen to this podcast in six months and kind of see what, where, where we're at. But I think that's the plan is really going to kind of go down both of those the, the different angles. And I think what we've tried to be unique for us is really trying to be ERP agnostic, where um, if you want us to integrate into your current system, we've got the endpoints to do that. Or if you want to run your entire business and be on Quiply and have that be the source of the truth, we can do that too. So that's really been our perspective is really trying to, how do we enable online transactions and, and doing whatever it takes to do that. Mm, well, you could really shake up the industry if you, if you keep developing in that direction, you might have a few <laughs> people uh, looking over their shoulders at you. On, on the second direction, going to go in the lightweight system. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, yeah, we'll see. I mean, like I said, we're, we're still early. I think um, it's been encouraging. I actually think on the product side, we've uh, gotten a lot farther ahead than I thought we would, where we actually didn't know that some of our groups were actually using us to run their whole business. And they told us that. And they were like, you already have what we need to run our entire business on Quiply. And I was kind of surprised. And we kind of look under the, under the hood and they're like, they were doing that. So I think that was kind of a surprising thing we've seen is um, we'd actually built more than I think we had thought or we were kind of a little bit farther ahead on the product side. So that, that was one of the more encouraging things, at least we've seen in the last two months. Mm, okay, interesting. So, so what do you think, switching up to learn a little bit more about you, what do you think has been the biggest challenge you've faced in your career so far? It's a good question. I mean, honestly, every job I've had, I feel like was the biggest challenge at the time. <laughs> it's always harder than the last one. I was always in a job. I was like, what am I doing? Felt over my head. Um, I think going back to, you know, that first company, Reboat, started, you know, recycling kayaks in, in a garage and turning them into wallets and dog collars when I was 21. I think that was the toughest experience I've ever had at the time. And, you know, starting a company, leading it from scratch, building from scratch, that was really challenging. And to kind of work through different op jobs, I always was in the moment. I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But how am I going to figure this out? And I was lucky to have, I think, just good uh, teammates and member, you know, mentors around me to kind of help me get through some of those moments. So I feel like it's constantly always every job I've been in has been a different challenge. Right now it's, you know, again, building company from the scrap from the ground up and starting to build a team as we started to hire people. Um, that's been a challenge in itself. So uh, mm. it's constantly trying to take on different challenges. And then you mentioned mentors. So who do you think has been a, a big influence on your career so far? I mean, I think there's been a few people. I think first of all, my mom, um, she was my, she's been, she was a teacher her whole life. She was my third grade teacher. And, um, she always pushed me on divergent thinking and really, how do you take a step back and think creatively, think differently. That was really, I was always her kind of way of thinking was not necessarily fitting the mold and, and really trying to push the boundaries. So I think from her, I really gathered that, that kind of like divergent thinking, uh, for my dad, 
he's, you know, he's, he runs a landscaping business right now. And he always told people that he was in the people business. It didn't matter if he was working at a dry cleaning business or landscaping. He always told people he was in the people business. And I think for me, just learning the importance of, of people. And like for, even for Quipley, we're not in the software business, we're in the people business and really for our customers and also our teammates. I think that's really our core, one of the core pieces of our culture. And then lastly, I would say even Dan Saper, who I'm working with right now, um, I think really his just belief is me as a you know founder and as a CEO, being able to say, I believe in you. Like I've got this idea. I think you can do it and I'm going to back you. I think having that support really um, it helped me, right? Because there's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of nights you wake up and go, what are we doing? Am I doing the right thing? <laughs> like, is this thing going to go out of business in, in two months? And uh, are people right? Maybe this is a bad idea. So I think having that belief in someone who says, I believe in you, I think has really been really helpful for me in, um, in kind of getting this off the ground. Mm, yeah, that's good to hear. So, so then you mentioned, like when you started at at various companies and a lot of them were startups and you're thinking, geez, this is, this is tough. Like, what am I doing here? And then also starting your own company, which is another end of the spectrum. How, how do you employ the right people for your startup? Because you're employing people that are in the same situation that you were in before saying, Oh man, what am I doing here? This is a big challenge. Just working at a startup is, is tough. So, so talk to me through like your recruitment process, I guess, uh, for, for a startup because it would be quite interesting to to hear from someone who's worked for many startups that has their own startup yeah good question i mean besides that company i had in college this is really the first time i've really been building a team and hiring people so i, I don't know if uh, we'll, let's talk in two years and see if we've hired the right people <laughs> but i think the I, I think for us it's really people who have that drive who want to build something because it's hard like you're up in the middle of the night uh, things are breaking. You're being told no 99 times to get the one yes. You have to really, really have thick skin. So I look for people who uh, have that drive. They want to build something. They want to be part of something that's coming off the ground. And that's a weird type of person. That's not for everybody. And um, <laughs> you have to have a certain type of personality who wants to take a risk and kind of jump on board for something that's been in business for less than a year. So I think that's what we look for. Someone that has that hunger and that drive. And then secondly, I think just being persistent is really important. So looking at people's experiences and having them explain the time that they were, uh, had to be persistent. They went through something, uh, some, some, some sort of adversity and how they came out stronger than that. Um, those are the type of people we like to work with. Um, you know, they've got the hunger, the persistent, but also like I would say the third thing is they're, they like to have fun, right? We don't take things too seriously. It's like the work-life balance, you know, you know Dan Saper, his vision at Boundless is really around people first. And I think, that's what I really appreciate about working with Boundless is that we do want to be successful and we do want to work hard, but at the end of the day, like we're people and um, we really, um, you know, value that. An example, I'm, I'm actually having a, a baby, a first baby in, in four weeks. And I keep on telling him I'm going to take like a week off for paternity leave. Or, and he's just like, he's like, no, take care of yourself. Like, this is a special time. We'll cover for you. So I think like that type of thinking where, you know, other bosses will say, okay, get back in here, right? we got a company to build, you know, get back on the horse. He's actually been really good about setting boundaries and making sure we take time to be with our families, to rest. So I think people who have that balance. So I would say hunger, persistence, and also people uh, who have really that, you know, that work-life balance and, and appreciate things outside of work. Mm, okay, good. And how do you define success? <laughs> I think it's a good question. Um, I think two ways. I think one is, are our customers happy and are they winning? I think ultimately kind of the idea of creating more than you consume. So if we are uh, adding new customers 
new renters for our customers, increasing their NPS, increasing revenue, streamlining operations. If we're doing those things for the rental companies, then I think we're being successful by, by, by default. So I think it's, what do we have to do to empower our rental companies to be more successful? So that's, that's the first thing. I think more secondly, internally, which we talked about as a team is how do we bring our best full authentic selves to work every day? And I think if you, it's kind of cliche, but my parents taught me like the three rules of do your best, do what's right and treat others the way you want to be treated. And I think if you are doing those things, if you're being yourself, being able to bring your whole self to work, doing your best, doing what's right and treating others people with respect. I think that's a huge success. And I would actually put that more important of what I just said around making sure our customers are happy. So I really think it's really those two things. One is external. How do we make our customers succeed? And then secondly, you know, how do we make sure we're uh, being ourselves and, and being the best version we can every day? So I think those are the two things I think about when I think of, of success. That's good. That's good. I like that. And then I think the question everyone wants to know as well, what's it like having your mom as your third grade teacher? <clears throat> oh man, I was mad. She, uh, I, I get mad. She wouldn't call me. I raised my hand and I expected that she should call me every time because I was her son. Um, and she intentionally did not call me. And I got in trouble once. Uh, I was talking in class. I was mad. She wasn't calling me. And she made, she wrote a note home to my dad who had to sign that I was getting in trouble. So that was a little interesting. And um, yeah, I wasn't too happy about that. <laughs> but, but didn't you have to ride home in the car together as well? So she, yeah, wrote she, she, drove, she drove me to school every day too. So it was a little awkward car ride but that was the last time i got a note written home i'll tell you that much i don't think my dad was too happy about that <laughs> that's so funny that's awesome all right carl well i want to thank you for coming on the rental journal podcast thanks mark for having me it's been it's a, been a true pleasure this podcast episode was proudly supported by our premier partner ken Arthur.